Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Mickey Gaffin-Stone. She is a human behavior expert, a human design expert, a global citizen, and an insight and parent coach. Welcome, Mickey. I am so happy to have you here. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing well, and I'm just Excellent. thrilled to be here. I am so excited to have you here. I am so looking forward to jumping in and sharing all about the beautiful light you shine out into the world through the work you do and sharing a bit about your story and journey. So welcome, and let's jump right in. So with all of that being said, Mickey, that's a hell of a lot of hats you wear and one hell of an extensive resume. It would seem, though, that all of these hats you wear are quite closely tied together in with one another. How do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization for you? Oh, I would have given you a different question, even a a different answer to that question, (laughs) even a year ago, because I used to compartmentalize the different aspects of what I've learned and who I am, because you're taught to do that. And now I don't prioritize. I use all of them as they come up. So human design is typically a foundation for what I do, because it gives me the the energy information for that person. But where we go from there, I have a huge toolkit. So I play with it depending on what we need. And I don't know what we're going to need until we talk. (laughs) Okay. Now with wearing multiple hats and being a multi-passionate entrepreneur, I would love to know what does your morning routine look like? My morning routine is typically dictated by five dogs. (laughs) uh, I could see how that would work. (laughs) Yeah, they inform us when it's time to get up. And then a little quiet time, well, relatively quiet with five dogs, <laughs> and a nice cup of black cacao. That's my morning sort of, ah, yes. <laughs> that gets right. you jump started. Yeah. What were you doing for a living before you made the jump into entrepreneurship? And what inspired that leap into becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I'm a board certified behavior analyst, and I was working for an ABA company, an applied behavior analysis company. And the thing is, working in any field of psychology, you are kept to that narrow aspect of what you do. And all the other things that you've learned are not applicable in this arena. And I found that I know things that can be included that would be really helpful, and I wasn't allowed to do that. So I figured the best thing I can do is play with my full toolkit, and I need to be an entrepreneur for that. Excellent. No coloring outside the lines are allowed. (laughs) Exactly. And I like to draw pictures within pictures, and I definitely go outside the lines, and I might use the wrong colors. (laughs) That's, That's part of the fun. 
Right. That's, yes. that's kind of how I've always shown up. And it's difficult to contain all of that in one place. And I, I have four degrees. I have right. more than 40 certificates because I spend my life oh, learning. I, I know, right? My kids <laughs> joke with me that I should make a bedspread out of them. <laughs> and I think that's probably a, a reasonable thing to do. But it's just I'm always learning. That's what I do for fun. That's kind yeah. of our role. How long did you do that for before you reached that point of like, okay, this is too constricting. I've got to step outside here. I guess since 2017, so just a few years, but I mean, it's a pretty intensive job and yeah. it has a high turnover for a reason. You know, we yes. work with kids with behavioral needs, families with behavioral issues. And I often found that the kids were actually the least of the issue. <laughs> and, <laughs> of and course, it was the adults. <laughs> absolutely. And that's not always a, a popular approach. Right. Say, no, I'm not going to fix your child, but let me talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> you, come here, sit down. <laughs> Let's have a conversation. <laughs> we have lots to discuss. <laughs> right? And the thing is, I do it non-judgmentally. Like, we are all on this planet for a physical experience. We're all here to learn stuff. Nobody has a better clue of what they're doing parenting than another. When you're faced with your kid, you don't know, right? No. So it's non-judgmental, but I've spent a lifetime learning some things. So I want to yeah. share those. Yeah. Well, kids don't come with a manual, an instruction manual. It's the biggest on-the-job training gig you'll ever get. To a large extent. I do now say that there is an instruction manual. It's called Human Design, but it doesn't give you every nuance, but it really gives you a big jump up. Yeah. It really does. I wish I'd had that when my kids were little. Oh, well. well we live and we learn, right? Yeah. <laughs> what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Mickey? I love getting the results. I think most of us do, right? If, yeah. if we're honest, getting the results from people, seeing the transformation, the change, the, oh, really, I can do that? Or, oh, this is how it is? Mm. Whatever their transformation is, I feed off that. If I did not require money for a mortgage, I would happily just live off that. Yeah. That powerful. Feeds my soul. And that's the important piece, right? Is that we find that thing in life that we have to do or get, sorry, I shouldn't say half, get to do that just lights our soul on fire. I mean, we have to do this and we do, we have to work because we have to make money. So we might as well do something that we enjoy doing, something that makes our soul sing, that sets our soul on fire. It's a rarity for a lot of people that don't find that joy in their career and in their job. There's so many people out there that stay stuck in jobs that they fucking hate and can't stand going to. That's where human design comes in. Seriously. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that whole thing of when you're doing something that's a hell no, and you yeah. feel like you're smacking your head on a wall every day when you get up and have to go to work, yeah. that is a very clear signal, a very loud signal. You are not doing the right thing for you. Yeah. And people get stuck in a sort of narrative of, oh, well, I have no choice. There's always a choice. The question is, how big is that choice right now? And how can you build your steps to a bigger choice? Yeah. And human design can absolutely show you what is energetically correct for you. And here's the lovely part. You don't have to believe a word I say. <laughs> <laughs> and I prefer people not to take my word for it. I really do. I have a science background. My, mm. my degrees are in science. I want you to test it. Go yeah. play with it. Get those repeatable results. And then I don't have to convince you of one damn thing. 
<laughs> the universe will do it all for you. I, I yeah, I don't play that game. Like, yeah, that's not what I'm here for. I would love to jump in and speak a little bit about your coaching journey and coaching in general. I've heard a lot of people say that most, if not all coaches, have been through their own personal struggles and journeys before making the leap into coaching. I mean, we've all been through our shit. We've all gone through the struggles and the journey and we're human beings. Of course we have. But what I found though is through conversations with a lot of the women I'm speaking to who are coaches, it was their personal struggles or journeys that were the catalyst for them leaping into the coaching world. Can you share a little bit about your personal journey before making the leap into the coaching world? So here's the thing. My life began difficult and it stayed that way. So, <laughs> you know, I've been moving since I was six months old. There was uh, a lot of abuse in my early childhood, a lot of events that I really don't bear repeating in public, yeah. that were just unpleasant. And I learned from a very early age to watch people engage their behavior, figure out what they were going to do next, where they were going to go, what triggered and what didn't. And I learned that before I could articulate what I was learning. So I've been learning behavior, human behavior, since I could walk. And so that was where my coaching journey began, because I really see things in people that pretty much everybody else misses that, you know, that's before you get the human design, because it's been my life's work to do that. It started off as a safety thing. Then mm -hmm. it became a curiosity thing. And as I've moved through different countries, this is the eighth one I've lived in and two states here so far, and we're likely to move very soon to a third one. So every time I move, the culture is different. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by that. I want to know what makes you tick. Why are you doing the things you do? What are you doing? How does that work? I'm like the most curious person to get off the plane. I want to <laughs> know what's happening as soon as I arrive. So all of that comes into that coaching journey. And I think I've just always been doing it. So from these experiences then, how have they helped shape the Mickey you are today, both personally and professionally? Well, nature and nurture. It's 50-50 mm -hmm. really. And even in your human design chart, you've got personality on one side, which is you now. And on the other side, the numbers are by design. And that's genetic information from six generations. That's what we bring to the party when we arrive on this planet is all of that information. So given my particular combination, I've taken adversity as I see it and looked at it and said, okay, what, what do I get out of this? What do I work with from here? What's the point? What's the lesson? And there always is something. I was 15 when I realized that my grandfather was the most sad, angry, stuck human being that you could possibly meet. And he was an excellent lesson in what not to do. And I made a decision at 15 that I might do some crazy shit in my life. In fact, I intend to, <laughs> but <laughs> I have every intention to do that, but I will not regret anything, including when it goes wrong. I That's will not a hell of a lot of self-awareness for a 15 year old. Right? I had a hell of a lot of life by the time I was 15. <laughs> I'd seen a lot of things. So yeah. The important thing there, though, is that to realize that no matter how bad the situation is or struggle or whatever it is that we're going through, there is a lesson there to be taken from that and learned. No matter what it is, there's always a lesson to take away from it and well, a silver a lining. 
that's actually the place to be. Yeah. And like, this might be a, a bit of a, a different perspective, but if you use the metaphor of a river, right? Yeah. Those smooth parts of the river where you're just lying down in your canoe and sailing down and it's all yeah. comfortable, that's a lovely break. That's really mm-hmm. nice. And we're told that's what life should be like. But if you think about it, that doesn't hold up. Because if no. your life was like that, you'd be bored out of your tree. You yeah. wouldn't learn a thing because the learning comes from the challenge. So when those rapids come up that are just around the corner and you had no idea they were there, and suddenly you have to start paddling like hell or not paddling and, and just letting it go, that's where the learning stuff happens. That's the transformation. That's the growth. So the thing that people fear, the choppy bits, are actually the parts we're here for. So. For sure. A little shift in perspective there because that, yeah. those smooth parts are just a break. Like take That's it, right. have a coffee and enjoy. Because, Lazy river. Yes. Because <laughs> some more stuff's coming. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> and there always will be more stuff coming. There's well, always yeah. going to be the rapids for you to go through, to navigate through. Yeah. And every time you go through a set of rapids, you've built a bit more muscle. That's right. What was your biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson then from those experiences, would you say? From all the things I've learned, not to judge people because everybody has their own perspective, their own lens, and they're doing what they can with what they have. So I guess more than not to judge people is not to take it personally, because sometimes bad things happen to you at the hands of somebody and it's not about you. You just happen to be there. That person is in that space and that action they're taking is all about them. You just happen to be there. So if you can take yourself out of that, it's not personal, then you can start to see that person as a human being and see that they had some shit going on that caused them to do some stuff they probably regret. That takes a lot of work to be able to do that. It's a big mindset shift to step into. It is, but it's so worthwhile because the thing is, if you carry that look what happened to me, it's all about me, victim thing, the only person that's suffering is you. 100%. The person who did it to you is on their way and they probably don't even remember. It might not have been a big deal to them. If it was a big deal, they've put it behind them. Like you're the only one suffering. Why would you do that to yourself? Very true. But we are masochists. We are our own worst enemies. We are our biggest hurdles. We can be. I learned to get over that one. I do not carry (laughs) that stuff because you got to get over heavy ground as light as you can. Yes, basic military tactic, but you've you've got to be able to do that. Otherwise you get stuck in the mud and then where are you? Stuck in quicksand. (laughs) Yeah. It's not cool. (laughs) So I have to ask, what is an insight coach and what inspired the route in the coaching world of becoming an insight coach? And can you share the type of work that you do with your clients as an insight coach? Yeah. Insight coaching is actually a term I coined for what I do. It's okay. specifically what I do. So no, you don't go and get a certificate in it. Although, hey, one one day I might put that together. You never know. There you but go. I call what I do insight coaching because I begin with human design. I move into whatever you need next, whether it's positive psychology, polyvagal theory, applied behavior analysis. What do you need next? And sometimes you need a bunch of those things in one go. Sometimes we just go straight to identity which is a huge piece. And it's a much bigger deal than mindset, honestly. Mindset can change. It can change on the weather. It can change on an event. It's like motivation. It's one of those things that's really elusive. It's hard to keep it in one place. But your identity, now that is who you say you are, who you believe you are, and that affects how you show up. Mm. Now that piece 
is crucial because if you identify as a smoker, you're going to smoke your cigarettes today. If you identify as a runner, chances are even if it's raining, you're going to go running. If you identify yourself as a loser, well, guess what your day is going to look like? Shit. So, <laughs> right. And it's not just what you say. It's what you live. It's how you anticipate things are going to come your way. You, confirmation bias says you will find more of what you're looking for. So if you've just bought a red car, every car out there is suddenly red. If you expect your day to be complete shit, guess what you're going to find? A complete shit. Right. <laughs> ding, ding. Exactly. So identity is a place where I spend a fair bit of time because that's something people tend to take on from other people's stories. and They don't really consciously decide how they're going to show up today. And it doesn't matter what comes out your mouth. It's what are you doing? It's the behavior, not the words. <laughs> it's the behavior. It's the belief too. Yeah, belief. yeah. How do you believe you are? Very true. The mind is such an incredibly powerful tool. Yeah. And we, we don't we, realize we, just how powerful it is. Right? And, and until you start playing with what happens when I do this, you know, that's, <laughs> that could Coloring be outside the lines. <laughs> Coloring outside the lines. Yeah, totally. I'm also curious to know the decision to become a parenting coach. I'm assuming here that came from your work as a therapist, <laughs> the parenting bit of it. But why did you decide to go into coaching and work in that area? And do you tie, as we said off the top, all of the things you do are tied in very closely together. It's a tightly weaved thread. So you, I would assume, tie the insight coaching into your work with you doing with parents and whatnot as well correct? Mostly correct. I, I absolutely tie in all of the coaching tools are available to anybody and they are 100% applicable in the parenting situation, right from human design on through. But the reason for my journey was I have two kids and both of them were, they gave me some extra challenges, shall we say. And I moved countries with them. They were one and three when we moved to Belgium, for mm -hmm. example. And moving countries every few years and having different languages and different school systems to deal with, I had a fight on my hands pretty much everywhere I went. And the wilderness dog has an opinion on how you're supposed to raise your kid. Yeah, They don't know your child. And so I found myself getting a lot of criticism for how I raised my children, a lot of criticism for the outside the box stuff that we did. And yet I have two very successful delightful young men to my credit. And it worked well for them where other people who were criticizing, I look at how it went for their kids and I'm like, no, I did okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I got a lot of flack for that. And, and I felt that, you know, parents don't get a break. They get a lot of expectations, mm -hmm. some arbitrary how to, but they don't really get seen or heard. Yeah. And so I got very passionate about that as a parent. And from there, I went into the therapy part. That's why I learned the therapy side was so that I could bring that to parents in a way that they could access it and make use of it. And so that's why the parent coaching, I do it mostly because I can't not. It's just, just part of who you are. It's there to do. Yeah. So the flack that you received, though, I'm going to assume here as well that a lot of it came from the fact that you were moving around so often and people think that, why are you doing that to your children? It's not fair. All this, that and the other, right? 
Oh, there was a chunk of that too. But yeah. I mean, I grew up moving. They grew up moving. And I now, my eldest son is a linguist and he speaks seven languages. I'm not sure he would have been so interested if we hadn't moved all the time. Right. My youngest did political science and works a lot in anti-Semitism. He speaks three languages. Wow. He's in Israel right now teaching. So would they have grown up to be the kids they are or the, the human beings, the men that they are? Mm -hmm. No. They Probably wouldn't not. have had that information. Learning these different cultures, I think, has been phenomenal. And we balance that with frequent returns to Canada, which is where my kids are from, so that they would have a sense of grounding. So they ended up with the best of both worlds. But other people want you to stay in their comfort zone. That's the <laughs> yes. thing, right? I'm not comfortable with you moving your kids because I wouldn't do it. Therefore, you're wrong. That's the narrative. And it's like, yeah. well... No, actually, I reject your narrative. Yeah, you can have your opinion, but it's not going to change what I do. These are my kids. This is my family, and we're going to do things how I want to do them. Yeah. Did the kids ever get frustrated or pissed off about all the moving and say, why the fuck are we moving again? Like, did you oh. deal with a lot of that? My eldest had the sulky teenage years in Singapore. It was hilarious. The poor guy. <laughs> my, my youngest decided it arrived in paradise and he was having a field day. But yeah. the, the older one, he had a sulky time. And now yeah. he looks back and says, I wish I'd just enjoyed it more. But he enjoyed the travel that we did from there. We, we did a ton of travel within Asia and hiking up mountains and all kinds of stuff. Mm. And so they have that, but he would have done the same thing if we'd stayed put. Too. Had a problem with that as well. So he was just going through the teenage years. <laughs> yeah, they're not easy years to get through, that's for sure. They're not easy, but I love working with teenagers. They crack me up. More than the parents. <laughs> well, t t teenagers are adults in training. Yeah. We tend to put a lot of story onto their behavior as you're disrespecting me or you're not listening to me. You know, you're not saying anything they want to hear for one thing. But the other thing is there's a lot of hormones going on. Yeah. And there's a, I'm an adult and I can make decisions. Where's my teddy bear? <laughs> <laughs> They're all over the place. You can't give them a hard time for that. Very true. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and that's why we're there as parents to guide them. Yeah. And the we're trick to guiding to be. them is often less is more. This is what I see if you make this decision. This is what I see if you make that decision. Let me know what you decide. And then yeah. back off and let them make mistakes because now is way better than later. That's right. And that's how they're going to learn is right. making the mistakes. Failure yeah. is good. It's essential, actually. It they're not going to learn if you make the decisions because that nope. decision-making muscle never gets exercised. Understandably, and you want to protect them, right? You don't want to see them fail. You, sorry, not that you don't want to see them fail. You don't want to see them get hurt and struggle, right. but the struggle and the failures are part of the lessons. They need to go through that. If you go through their, from the time they're a kid till they get into their teens, fixing everything for them, they're mm -hmm. fucked when they get out on their own. Oh, yeah. They have no skills. No. None at all. And I mean, sometimes, in fact, most times, parents' intuitive responses, their instinctive, I'm going to go save the day, yeah. is exactly what not to do. Yeah. And if I can tell a quick story, yeah. I'll, make, I'll make it quick. I was working with a family in the UK who the, the child, teenager, 15, had therapy, he'd had school interventions, they'd gone every route that they could go. I need to make that clear. Mm -hmm. And then I was hired in a coaching capacity because this kid was hiding in his room and cutting himself. 
and he was not social and major anxiety issues, all kinds of things. Yeah. And the first thing I said to the parents was, don't take away what he's using to cut himself with. And they nearly lost their shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what did you say? But the thing is, it's a coping mechanism. And if you take that away, the next step up is suicide. So let's mm. not take that away. But let's look at why this coping mechanism is necessary. Long story short, within three months, this boy was no longer cutting, was coming out of his room voluntarily, was communicating, and even had kids knocking on the door to come hang out. Wow. So we had a complete turnaround in, in three months by the parents backing off, giving him space, and, and not pursuing the, how was your day? What do you think about this? Ah, which they were doing with all the love in their hearts. You know, they were chasing him with love, trying to yeah. fix it, what ailed him. And actually, yeah. he just needed some space to process. And which would see, which seems counterintuitive. It's totally like, counterintuitive. Why the fuck? What? What the fuck? What do you mean? Leave him with whatever exactly. he's using. Like what? <laughs> yeah. No. This. This is which is why I said I, I yeah. took care to say yeah. we had therapy first. We've yeah. done all the things, but this was my best understanding of how to approach such a situation. I am not. Right. For anybody listening, recommending that you do this, go talk no. to somebody. But this is what worked for this kid. And right. it was a completely counterintuitive approach. Yeah. And sometimes that's what you need because doing more of what you're doing gets you more of what you've got. Yeah, you're just going to push them further away in some cases. Yeah. If you keep going the way you're going. Yeah, it's just one of those situations where you're doing everything you can and that's the problem. Right? Exactly. Yeah. What is it then that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches, Mickey, why would they choose to work with you over someone else? Well, first of all, I think everything I've said so far, <laughs> kind of, it's who I am and what I bring to the table. I have a lifetime of experience in all directions. I have packed an awful lot into my years so far. I'm sure I'll pack a bunch more in, but <laughs> I also, I really see you. I see the person I'm coaching. I am here with you and there is zero judgment because there's no point. I don't even have to try to not judge. It's not a thing. It's not yeah. on my radar. I'm here to help you figure out what you want to do, where you want to be, and how you want to be. And we get there. And I do it because I get results. How has your coaching style evolved since you first started to now? Oh, when I first started, I had all these little boxes because that's <laughs> how I was educated, right? You do this now and then you do that. And, <laughs> and at one point I said, what the hell am I doing? Let's just blow those boxes up. We don't need boxes. And I said, no, screw it. I'm not doing it the same way as other people do it. I'm yeah. doing it my way and bring the criticism or bring the praise or bring whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I'm doing it this way. And that's kind of how I've lived my life anyway. So <laughs> I don't know why it took me any time at all to figure that out. <laughs> what would you say are three of the most important lessons you've learned as a coach? Don't rush people. And don't assume because their journey is one that they don't know yet. So having an agenda and rushing that person is going to be completely counter. Again, it's counterintuitive, right? But yeah. if you have a timeline for where you need to be, that's problematic before you start. So that, that's a big thing. Identity is far more important than mindset. That's another big thing. And my agenda doesn't really count. In coaching, my agenda is on the side there and it's what's the person in front of me what are they looking for let's go there that's probably one of the most important ones right there mm -hmm. what are some of the benefits of working with an insight coach oh you get to know yourself really deeply 
One of the things that I particularly love when I do the human design part of things is that look on somebody's face when they say, are you kidding me? That <laughs> thing that I was always told I did too much of or I did too little of, you're telling me that's a gift? What? <laughs> I've had a couple of people cry when I've told them where their gifts are because it's something, typically it's something they've been made to feel was wrong about them. Right. And I'm here to tell you there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. I'm here to support. I'm not here to fix, which yeah. is another reason why I don't do therapy now. I do coaching. Well, nobody needs fixing. Nobody is no. broken. We just need support and guidance and help. No, but the, there's a lot of models out there that are very, let's fix this yeah. based and let's fix that based. But if you look at some of the things that are being fixed, I mean, are they really an issue? Yeah. I, I, I question some of the choices, shall we say. And really, if it's not a problem for you, if you don't make eye contact typically, mm -hmm. and you're fine with that, okay, I'm not going to work on that. Why would I? But there are those who would insist that that was something that needed working on. You I must disagree. make eye contact when you're speaking yeah. to someone. Yeah. Yeah. But why? And in some cultures, that's actually a very bad idea. Right. Some cultures, they don't like it. So I kind of blew that one out of the water <laughs> early on with not everybody agrees with this stance. No. What inspires and lights you up the most about the work you do as a coach? Uh, like I said, I love to see things shift and change and just improve. Another family that I worked with, the child would scream whenever they were out in public. And so they wouldn't go out. They had become hermits in their own home because of this kid. And I'd, I'd say within six months, certainly to a year, now they go off to monster truck rallies and all kinds of things. And now they have a normal life. They go out and do stuff. Yeah. But we had to do some shifting. There was a lot of work to do from being afraid to leave your house to going to social activities and doing all kinds of noisy things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What inspired or started your journey into the world of human design? And when did this journey begin for you? What inspired me was I was working with someone who just got frustrated and said one day, okay, have you looked at human design? And I was aware of its existence, but I hadn't particularly gone there. And I said so. And she said, well, I'm having some trouble working with you. And I think if I saw your chart, I would have a better idea of what I was doing. I was very curious because I respected this person's intellect and all right. the rest of it. So I said, mm -hmm. okay. I got my chart done and then I did my behavior thing and I'm watching what's the reaction, what's she doing with this and all the emotions and expressions that went across her face. I thought, okay, now you can color me intrigued. What's going on? <laughs> and then she said, I got it. I know exactly what I need to do. And she changed two or three things. And mm -hmm. suddenly our work was smoother together. And then I thought, okay, what, what was that about? I need to know more. So yeah. I dove in and I, I got into it fast and deep as I tend to do. I don't half-ass anything, always whole ass. <laughs> and, and I went in fully, just like, yeah. and, and I started swimming like crazy and learned. The more I learned, the more I learned I needed to learn more. Yeah. And it was just, it's always uncovering layers. Like I love, this is my wheelhouse. Awesome. It never ends. So that's where it all began. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My curiosity. I am perpetually curious. Yeah. Could you share with us what some of the basic principles of human design are and what makes it unique compared to other personality frameworks like Myers-Briggs type indicator or the Enneagram? Those other systems require your verbal input, your 
thinking input. Those other systems require your input, right? Okay. This is what I think I do. This is how I think I am. With all due respect, you might not get all those answers quite right. Sometimes yeah. your perceptions are not how anybody else would see you. Human design is based on your birth data. Now, yes, a lot of people at that point will say, what? That's hokey. But if you think about it, it's the most immovable thing about you there is. That information does not change. Yeah. And there's a whole lot of mathematics that goes into it from there. So human design is your energy patterns. It's what works for you. So for example, there's something really easy for you to do that you don't even consider it. It's just, yeah, I just do that thing. Another person will come along and they find that the most difficult thing in the world to do. Now, are they less intelligent than you? Are they less smart than you? They simply have a different energy pattern. There's something else that they can do that they do excel at. Some people need to do some work and then take a long break and they get a lot of insights during that time. That would be a projector, for example. But that person could be labeled lazy because they're taking breaks. Right. However, that's part of their process. And if you mess with that, you mess up their energy flow. So a projector who's trying to behave differently is going to get burnt out really quickly and not know why, for example. So there's, there's so much depth and variability to human design. And the further you go in, when you get to the 64 gates and the 32 channels, you are getting into some personal definition here. And then there's a piece called the hexagram, which is from the I Ching. There are six numbers there is what you need to know. Okay. And each of those six has an influence. That influences the gates that are activated. So now you're getting into some minutiae here. It's really in-depth. Intense. Intense. Those other systems don't do that. You answer a, a bunch of stock questions and they'll slip you into a shoebox. Yeah, you answer, they ask the same question three, four, five different ways. Right. And that, that can be kind of helpful, but it's limited simply because it's variable, right? I've had to go at the Enneagram for myself, for example, and me being me, it depends on the day. Yeah. You know, my Enneagram yeah. changes because my answers change. For people who are new to the concept of human design, how would you recommend they get started in learning and exploring the system? What resources or tools are available for beginners? And one of the key principles of human design is the idea of living in alignment with one's unique design. Can you talk more about what that means in practice and how people can begin to align their lives with their design? That's a big question. Okay, <laughs> so resources and where to start. My website has <laughs> a free, let, this is, I created it for this purpose. So it's yeah. a good answer. Yeah. My website has a place where you can create your chart for free. Mm -hmm. You download it. And when you download it, there are some hyperlinks at the side that become activated and you can follow those and get an overview of what you're looking at, because that design looks a bit like a mannequin for CPR, only with a lot of details and stuff on it. So it can be overwhelming. Now you get the overview. If you want to know more, that's where you go for a reading. One reading would get you a decent overview. Three readings is what you need to get the depth because right. it takes a good eight hours to put everything together. Right. So that's how you would approach it. Now, if you want to learn it for yourself, buckle up, buttercup, because there's a <laughs> lot to do. And there's a lot of different people out there that are putting the information out and not all are created equal. Let's put it that way. And who do you resonate with? How do you learn? Do you want video? Do you want in person? There's so much variability that 
I would not want to point to one resource, honestly, for learning. Okay. But I would recommend if somebody really wants to learn human design for themselves, get yourself at least three different resources so that you can aggregate. That's what okay. I did. Okay. Thank you very much for sharing that, Mickey. How has your understanding of human design evolved over time and what factors have influenced your thinking? The more I see it in action and the more I test it for myself, the more fun I have with it and the more I appreciate the knowledge it gives me. It's wonderful to know that this situation is not going to work for me, but if I change it to that, it will. I, I love having it. It's a power, actually. A fellow coach came to me one time and said, I have these programs and I don't know how to price them. Will you help me? And I said, sure. Yeah. Okay. What you got? And she showed me the programs and then there was no options. And I said, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> Give me some numbers and I'll tell you what fits where, but I'm yeah. not pulling that out of the ether. That's not happening. Yeah. And she was a little put out, but I made her do the work and she came back with some numbers and then I was able to do it very quickly because for me, I need binary options. You just tell me it's this or it's this, or do you want that? Or here's a sequence. Yeah. And, and I'm good. I could do a multiple choice exam of a subject that I haven't studied. And I bet you I would pass and I would get a good grade. <laughs> I love the confidence. Because I, I know how to do them, right? It doesn't mean I'm brilliant. It just means I know how to work that system. Human design is often used in career counseling and other professional contexts. Can you share some examples of how human design can be applied in these settings and what benefits it can offer individuals and organizations? Absolutely. In fact, I'm working with a company right now and there are 15 people that have mm -hmm. had their human design done so far. And what it shows is who has issues with control, for example, and how do you accommodate that? The different energy types, how they're going to work, where their expertise is likely to be, and how do they experience that? So it's all about making the path smoother. And instead of butting heads, if you've got this person with gate 21, which is the gate of control, that one has 21, they're going to do this. They're going to fight for supremacy, right? But with a little shift, you control this. Nobody micromanages anybody. Whoosh, off yeah. we go really smoothly. So it takes work to go through all the charts and, and see where they enhance each other and where there can be a sort of hiccup, but it's all workable. That's the thing. So I love doing this and I love the challenge of having a group of people to play with. Prior to this, it would be families that I would do it with. That's pretty amazing. But I'm to sure. do it in a company is a lot of fun. I love it. <laughs> Some critics argue that human design relies too heavily on vague and mystical language and that its efficacy is unproven. How do you respond to these criticisms and what evidence or anecdotal experience do you draw on to support the validity of human design? This one actually always makes me smile because <laughs> you're right. It's a frequent thing. And I don't go into the origin story of human design, for example, partly because it's really easy to Google it mostly because it's a distraction. If you're right. focusing on that, you're not getting anything done. And I don't have to prove a damn thing. Very There's true. the deal. I don't have to prove a thing. Yeah. If you're curious, then you can experience human design for yourself and you see how it works. And if you have questions, you come and ask them. And yeah. that's absolutely fine. But if you're not curious, if you're afraid of it, or it's not a religious system, it's not a belief, it's not a faith, but sometimes people get a little confused about that. And if you have a problem with it, then there's no discussion for us to have. Right. You do you and I'll continue to do me. To me, 
I have a scientific background and I'm going to say that the science is happening right now. You go test it. You are the scientist. It's your life. You get your results. Now you tell me if it worked. <laughs> I'm literally, I'm not here to prove one red thing. Mm -mm. I love that. Many people turn to personality frameworks and assessments in order to better understand themselves and their place in the world. How can human design help deepen their self-awareness and cultivate greater self-acceptance and compassion? And also, how has it deepened your own self-awareness and changed who you are as a human? The thing with human design is it shows you what's right about you and it shows you how things can be effortless. Now, that's not to say lazy or easy, but it's to say that it's something you can do without busting your head over it. And it works for you. It's like floating down the stream versus struggling to go up the stream. Why would you go into battle if you don't have to? Life is not actually meant to be a struggle. That is a societal construct and it's utter bullshit. It doesn't serve anybody. I don't know if I've ever mentioned, but I, I do tend to be very direct in what I say. I love it. That is a, I love it. That's a beautiful that is, thing. That is a feature. I am not ambiguous. Um, <laughs> working with kids with autism for a long time, you get to speak in a very black and white way. So I do that. But human design is literally about you. It's not about someone like you. Those personality tests, sure, they're fun to do. Everybody's drawn to them. And fair play to you. Do them and have fun with them. Yeah. But if you really want to know how you operate, then human design is going to take you layer by layer. And it gives you things to work with and things to test. Whereas those personality tests, again, they put you in a pigeonhole. Yeah. If you like being pigeonholed, then have fun with it. There but you go. It's, it's not my jam, so I don't do it. <laughs> Plain and simple. Mickey, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? In one word, it would be curious. I am perpetually curious. I'm very willing to learn. I don't have a problem with making mistakes. And I'll totally say I don't know if I don't know. Love so it. when someone's working with me, they know what they're getting because yeah. I'm straight up. No bullshit. <laughs> Zero bullshit. I don't have time for it. Life is too short for this. Yeah. And we have enough trouble on this planet as it is yeah. without indulging in the nuanced gray area of, I don't know what you mean. My husband has never once had to ask me, what do I mean? <laughs> never once. He knows exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> There's no subtext. There's no, and I, I think that the people who are, for me, who like that, they'll stay with me. And yeah. the people who don't like, that's okay. They don't resonate with who I am, and that's fine. Well, that's we aren't for everybody, and everybody's right. not for us. That's it. Right. Can you imagine how claustrophobic it would get? No. It would be weird, right? Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that. Love it. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? Success is when I feel like I've made a difference and it was worth getting up today. And that can vary from day to day, but... There needs to have been a point. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? What was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Well, I learned very early on that people are hella unpredictable. So that was really good to learn. Travel. I guess travel is not something to be afraid of. It's actually an amazing experience. And not having the money to travel is a story. It's not a truth. I left mm. London to go to Bangladesh with a backpack, an air ticket, and $20. And I went for six months to work in an orphanage, and I stayed for three years. So I didn't have 
money. Now, I also didn't have responsibilities, to be fair. I only had me. So that was a different yeah. situation to some. I, I got to be straight up with that. Yeah. But I could have stuck in the story of, oh, I can't do it because all these boxes aren't ticked. And I would say learning that boxes don't need to be ticked. In fact, I'm really not into boxes. Have you noticed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't like boxes. I don't think many people do like being put. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I don't think some people do not like being put into boxes. Other people, they're okay with that. And they prefer to be in those confines and those constructs. But well, sometimes of- we think we don't like a thing, but actually we'll fight for it. Yeah. And that's sometimes people don't want to like being in a box, but it's comfortable. It's safe. And it's what we do as human beings. So again, fair play. Yep. You do yeah, you. That whole safety thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mickey, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment is, I think when you are standing in your own power and knowledge of who you are showing up authentically, come what may, that that is empowerment. That That is some ballsy empowerment right there. <laughs> I'm going with that. I love it. <laughs> okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping Ooh. of questions will just be two, three, four word answer type. Wait, thing. do okay. I get multiple choice? <laughs> no, no <laughs> multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> this is the direct approach. You said you like the direct approach, so. Okay, I here said we it. Go. Walk it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How would you describe yourself in one word? Curious. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Let go of blame. What's one, what's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Ooh, more time. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Kicking ass and taking names. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. What is your favorite self-care practice? Remembering to take a pause and giving myself a break now and then because I'm one of those people who tends to go until yeah. I can't. So what is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My endless optimism. And that concludes our rapid fire section. See, you did good. Ooh. Oh, you're going to add something there? No, that oh, wasn't okay. painful. See, hey. I told you. See, I knew you could do it. It's the direct approach, Mickey. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Great. I can use blame on that one. (laughs) Blame is, this is like a soapbox moment. One box I like. My soapbox moment. Blame is toxic. If you blame other people for your situation or things that are happening to you, you are giving away your power. You're saying, I can't do anything about this because it's this person's fault. If you accept blame from someone else, then you can't take any positive action because you're too busy beating yourself up. Blame serves zero purpose that's useful. It causes nothing but harm and nobody ever moved forward because of it. So if if I could eradicate one thing, it would be blame. What is something that you've learned growing up that is apparently no longer true? I'm not even sure how to answer that one. I think some of the values that we were taught when we were kids are no longer true. It changes with society. And again, you have different areas of society that are not willing to change and some that are, and that's a cause of discord. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? I am okay with being seen because I wasn't for the longest time. I was really wanting to do the work without being seen. And now I've been on stage in MIT and done a couple of talks 
and I have a TV show and I'm on this podcast. So as I typically do, I'm either all in or all out. And so now it's like, ah, here I am. Stepping into that visibility and owning your shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Owning your power, your strength. Yeah. It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful move. It's it's fun to do something you haven't done before, too. Well, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, it can be scary as shit, but the rewards far outweigh the the other side of it. It's it's a beautiful thing when you can do that. And I mean, entrepreneurship itself stretches you in ways that you never even knew you could stretch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. But I think I've lived outside my comfort zone for more years than I've ever been in it. So uh, I'm, I might it's be the whole box thing. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like a bunch of things happened. I just haven't really had much of a comfort zone for any length of time. So that's a good uh, thing. Well, it's, it's helped it's shape who you are. It's what I have. So yeah. I'll, I'll take it because it's yeah. mine. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Gosh, there's so many people. You see, you did that open-ended question thing to me. Shoot. Give me some options. <laughs> Give me some options. Men keep leaping to mind. Isn't that funny? I guess Nayuka. No, I just spent a weekend doing her thing, and she's an amazing human being. I'd love to talk with her. I'd like to hear what she says when she's not on camera. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) (laughs) You're in for a hell of a ride. (laughs) And enjoy it. Well, just hang in. You know those roller coasters where people are like hanging onto the bars? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's in store. That's how it's going to go, kiddo. So just deal. Lastly, Mickey, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say, let go of blame. Whenever it comes up, look at why. Take your power back. Take the action you need to take. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Learn from them because that's where the gold is. And remember that you are worthy simply because you are here. Nobody else's metric has anything to do with you. They are looking at you through their own lens. And when somebody tells you something, good or bad, they are talking about themselves, not you. Is that about 30 seconds? That's good. Okay. Because that's a bunch of stuff I would throw at people. (laughs) Mickey, thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story, your journey, and all of the wisdom you have gained over the years. And I just appreciate you. This has been an absolutely beautiful, inspirational, and amazing conversation. I appreciate you. And I'm so grateful to be connected to you and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me here. I've been looking forward to our conversation and it was every bit as fun as I thought it would be. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so much. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Mickey Gaffin-Stone. She is a human behavior expert, a human design expert, a global citizen, an insight and parent coach. Once again, Mickey, thank you so much. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you so much. You also. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.